Amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter number 16. Revelation, chapter number 16. Let me remind you that in my estimation at least, in my opinion, we are in the fourth picture of the tribulation here in the book of Revelation. And this continues on through chapter number 19. You'll remember in chapter number 15 we saw seven vials being presented to seven angels. Here in chapter number 16, we see these seven vials being poured out upon the earth. The first vial, verses 1 and 2, And I heard a great voice out of the temple, saying to the seven angels, You know, we could just stop there and reflect on that statement and think about How glorious it is that God is involved in all of the affairs of man. And out of the great temple there in heaven, the true heavenly temple, that God is speaking and God is conducting everything here on this earth. That nothing happens by chance. And this voice speaks from heaven saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Throughout history, God has spoken and someday... God is going to speak to the world for the final time. And at the command of this great voice, it says, The seven angels poured out their vials in rapid succession. And notice this first vial has to do with these, with this, the wrath of God being poured out upon men. And notice that they are smitten with these terrible sores. And I want you to notice how these are described. They are noisome, which means terribly destructive. They are grievous, meaning malignant. And the word soil, it, uh, uh, sore itself means boils or ulcers. You can get the picture in your mind of these, these putrefying boils and sores all over the bodies of men. And, and notice here that These men are smitten that have received the mark of the beast. These that have pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist. And you remember earlier we talked about the fact that the Antichrist and the false prophet and the the power they had to do miracles. But notice in this instance, at this time, God gives them no such ability. In other words, they're not going to be able to heal these men of these horrible sores all over their body. In verse 11 that we'll get to in a little bit, we're 
we read that they blaspheme God because of the of the pain and the sores, and, and simply reminding us that no amount of evidence or no amount of punishment and suffering will convince some people to turn to God. You know, we keep thinking, if things get bad enough, people will turn to God. Well, not everybody. Not everybody. There will be those even in that final day when the Lord returns to this earth, and they literally, instead of repenting, they will hide themselves from the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that in Revelation chapter number 6. And here we see these people, instead of repenting of their sin, instead of acknowledging their wrong, they blaspheme the God of heaven. You know, Israel had been warned time and time again. In fact, Israel had suffered at the hand of God over and over. And the plagues that were sent, uh, you remember back during the days of Moses when God sent the plagues and when Aaron made the golden calf and the wrath of God fell upon the people. And again and again, judgment fell upon those that rebelled against God. But the very worst judgment is to come. Now, notice the second vial being poured out in verse number 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul in the sea, every living soul died in the sea. That, you know, that is absolutely mind-boggling when you stop and think about the life that, that is in, in the seas. And here is the wrath of God is poured out upon the sea. Everything dies. You see, God gives and God takes away. God gives life. God brings death. And here all of the living creatures in the sea are going to die in that day. And naturally the reason to that is because the end time, I mean the last time, the grand finale is about to happen as we'll see a bit later on. And so as he pours out this vial, all of the sea life dies. And then verse number four, the third vial is poured out. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of water. And they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, notice the angel of the waters. Wouldn't it be interesting if we knew the divine arrangement of all of the angels? And uh, it would really be interesting because I'm telling you what, God has it all planned out. Nothing happens by accident. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because Thou hast judged thus. Now, think about that, because there are a great many people that would say this isn't fair. A great many people that would complain to God. In fact, these very people blaspheme the God of heaven. But notice this angel bringing that reassuring message here that, that God is righteous in all of this. God never makes any mistakes. And the thing that keeps getting us into trouble 
is the fact that for some reason or another, we keep thinking that we deserve more and bigger and better. That's, that's the thing that causes us to get aggravated when things don't go our way. That's the thing that causes us to complain when we get heart disease or cancer or we go bankrupt or whatever hardship we're called upon to endure in life and we think to ourselves, you know, this just isn't fair. We hear of some little child, some little helpless, innocent child that's suffering and dies in our mind prematurely, leaving that family grieving over the loss of their loved one, and we think to ourselves, you know, that's just not fair. Let me tell you, ever since this world became a fallen world, we... And we've got to get this into our mind or we are forever going to be discontent. We don't deserve anything whatsoever. And instead of focusing on the bad, we've got to consider that every little good thing that happens is something that is more than what we actually deserve. That's where our focus needs to be. And so he says here, announcing as it were to the world that God is righteous in all of this. Verse number 6, For they have shed the blood of the saints. Now we've got some evidence as to why these people were deserving of this punishment. They shed the blood of the saints and prophets. And thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. In other words, this is what they deserve. And I heard another out of the alders say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now we see the plague extending to fresh water. And imagine being in a situation like this. Their bodies are covered with these putrefying sores, and now there's no pure water in which they can bathe, but it gets even worse. We move on to the next vial in verse number 8 and 9. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. You see, God's not just controlling what's going on here on earth. God's controlling everything, even the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which have power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. There again, you see, God, and I don't mean this in a humorous way, God turning up the heat. And, and you know, there, you talk about a climate change, there's a climate change coming. You talk about global warming, there's global warming that's coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming in that day. And God just, as it were, takes His mighty hand and pushes the sun just a little bit closer to the earth. And all of a sudden, things are scorched. This is, this is God's scorched earth policy here. And these people not only have these sores all of their, all over their body, no clean water to bathe in, but now they are literally blistered by the heat of the sun, and there is no comfort to be found anywhere. And again, what do they do? They begin to blaspheme the God of heaven. Verse 10, The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, 
and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Notice that now God's wrath is concentrated upon the very source of evil. He says the seat of the beast. The seat of the beast. If we only, if we only knew what all Paul meant when he talked about the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of wickedness and high places and so on and so forth. And as I said in another message, Satan and all of, all of his demonic spirits, they are a well-organized team. And over each nation of this earth, there is in some way a demon spirit appointed to influence the leaders of those nations. A few weeks ago, I tried to bring out the fact that when we think about unsaved people, as Paul said, they're taken captive of the devil at his will. And we look around and we see what's happening in the world. You know, it's really rather amazing that it's not worse than what it really is. I mean, we look at it and we say, my, it's terrible, it's horrible, it's getting worse all of the time, and all, all of that is true, but it's really amazing to me that it's not even worse than what it is. But notice in this day, now, God has focused His wrath upon the people upon the earth, the Christ rejectors, upon the planet itself. Because remember, when man fell, what happened? The earth itself was cursed. I mean, all of a sudden, the roses had thorns and the, and, and the serpents had uh, venom. Uh, the beast had fury. All of that happened after the fall of man. And so the earth itself, all of creation groaneth, waiting for the adoption to wit. And so all of creation has been affected, and God pours out His wrath upon man and upon the earth, the sea, and all of the fresh water... And then not only that, but upon the, upon the sun, he's con- showing his control over the the cosmic universe. And now he gets right down to the nitty gritty of the source of the problem of evil, and that is the seat of the beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet together. As God pours out darkness, and notice. The darkness upon the earth over in Isaiah 60 verse 2. He said, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. And that's exactly what we see here. And in their excruciating pain, notice it says they gnaw their tongues. And at the same time that they're gnawing their tongue because of the great pain, what are they doing? blaspheming the God of heaven, refusing to give God the glory, refusing to ask God for mercy. And it just goes to show again how hard a sinner's heart can get. To be in a condition like that, you probably know somebody that has lived a life of rebellion against God. And it might be that they've gone from one problem to another to another. It might be someone you love, someone you care about, someone you've been praying for. 
And you've watched them go through all of these horrible things. Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe they suffered some loss and, and the family was divided and destroyed or whatever it was. And you thought to yourself, what is it going to take to break them? Maybe, maybe now they will turn to God. And that's what we hope for. But there are those that are so hardened against God that absolutely nothing is going to persuade them to change their mind. And in this, in this time, we see that that's the general attitude of the world. They continue to blaspheme God even though He is demonstrating His power and His displeasure over their actions. Now, verse number 12, and we see the sixth vial being poured out. And notice what happens. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up in the way that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now let's stop there and we'll look at the rest of it in just a minute. But in this first part, whenever the, whenever the vial is poured out, the river Euphrates is dried up, it says. The amazing thing is that God is able to dry up the river Euphrates just like He did the Red Sea or the Jordan. But the interesting thing is that, that this could happen without divine intervention. Strangely enough, and the other day when I was thinking about the message tonight and I looked back at some, some notes that, that, that I made, uh, probably 40 years ago now. And comments on this. And looking back at that time, and I had newspaper clippings and magazine articles and what have you. And, and, and the story was that aided by 900 Soviet engineers and technicians, 25,000 Syrian workers constructed a dam across the Euphrates River. Now think about that. In other words, one man sitting there in the control room of that great dam can push a button and shut off the water gates and dry up the water. So there doesn't have to be a miracle to dry up the water because it's now possible. But now think about that for a minute because after all of these thousands of years, you know, man did not have that ability at his disposal, but it does exist now. Not very impressive to a lot of people, but I think it ought to get our attention to realize that, you know, that, that even man can dry it up. But notice the reason, and it says here in verse number 12, the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, the word east simply means sun rising. This could, uh, you know, many have surmised that it's talking about Japan, talking about uh, China and so forth, the land of the rising sun. And this invasion upon the kingdom of the Antichrist, and this is what I want you to keep in mind because you're going to see here in just a little bit, all of the nations of the earth are being gathered together in one great final battle. And, and as you're going to see, it's not against each other, but it's going to be against God. But originally, they come out against one another. And, and we read over in Daniel chapter 11 and verse number 44, here as 
these kings of the east come against the Antichrist. Now remember the Antichrist this time is going to be the fellow in charge of what many has referred to as the revived Roman Empire. Those ten nations, those ten European nations that make up their old revived Roman Empire. And he's going to be the man in charge of this. And so here comes the way of the kings of the east. And Daniel says, but tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him, therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to take away many. Notice, in the east and the north. Who is north? Russia, the Caucasus Mountains, and Russia is the northern power. And the kings of the east, that's what we're reading about right here. And uh, so, all of a sudden, the news that there is invaders coming from the north and invaders coming from the east, and all of a sudden, the Antichrist is hitting the panic button. And notice what happens in verse 13 and 14. It says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So you see, Satan has his trinity. There is the devil himself, and there's the Antichrist and the false prophet. And it says, For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, and gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. As these oriental kings prepare to do battle against the Antichrist, there's something strange that happens. He talks about these lying spirits uh, persuading the world leaders. Now remember, they're coming at one another to fight. But these lying spirits persuade the leaders, instead of fighting, to join forces together. But why would they do that? Why would all of a sudden they drop their agenda? Why would they cease fire against each other in order to form an alliance together? Because they totally hate each other. But now they're joining together. The answer is this. They're coming together to fight against Christ and His army. That's what it's all about. Luke tells us in chapter 21, verse 25, he says, There shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. And I believe that these signs here that he speaks of there that has to do with the coming of the Lord, that these signs are going to cause them to cancel their battle with one another and unite their forces to fight against Christ. In other words, they're going to see evidence of Christ coming. And when that happens, these signs, you know, in the stars and so forth, whatever all that might refer to, when it happens, they're going to say, look, we need one another. We need one another, let's join our forces, and we will fight against Christ. So the same devil who has for centuries convinced men that they could resist God and prevail, that same devil, through these lying spirits, will convince these nations to fight against him with all of their power. And you know the bottom line, they lose. 
Notice the warning that's given in verse number 15. Now, this is actually a parenthetical warning. In other words, as the account is unfolding by parenthetical, I mean it as though that the writer just steps back and inserts this by way of an explanation. Behold, I come as a thief. In other words, in an hour when you least expect it. I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So it's as though before this last vial is being poured out, that God in His mercy is sounding out again this, this warning. I come quickly. Many have misunderstood that when the Lord, you know, says in the very last chapter of this book, You know, behold, I come quickly, and they think, well, he failed to do that. You know, because after all, it's been over 2,000 years. He he sure hadn't come quickly. It's been all of this, all of this time. But that word quickly implies with rapidity after it is set in motion. That's the whole point. Whenever, whenever he, whenever he comes back, I mean, it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, there's not going to be any delay. It's not going to be dragged out whatsoever. And here he inserts this warning before the last vial is poured out. And notice in verse number, verse number 16 now, as we head toward the pouring out of this last vial, it says, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew Armageddon. This, many of you have no doubt, I'm sure, everybody here has heard of the great battle of Armageddon. There have been movies made about it, books written about it, and it's a very common phrase. The word Armageddon means Mount of Mednego. And it speaks about the southern rim of the plain of Jezreel and the large valley that runs from the Mediterranean Sea all the way down to the Jordan River. That's like 184 miles, something like that. Uh, some have said 200 miles, about 10 miles wide. And, and by the way, it has a famous history because it was there that Barak defeated the, uh, the Canaanites, and it was there that Gideon prevailed over the Midianites, and it was there that King Saul died. And so this has been known as a battleground throughout all of the centuries. And this is going to be the final battleground in that day. And whenever you think about China with 200 million, you know, man army, uh, and, and all of the other nations as they're joined together. And, and this is where it's all going to end for them. Now, verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. You know, that ought to remind us of something. When Jesus died on the cross, what did He say? It is finished. That was the cry of redemption. It is finished. The price for redemption has been paid. This is the cry of ruination. God pouring out His wrath upon humanity. It is done. The last plague has fallen, and this hellish period of tribulation is rapidly coming to an end. And we're going to see that in the, 
in the next chapters coming up because it's going to be like a snowball effect. I mean, just building bigger and bigger and crushing everything in sight, as it were. But notice in verse number 18, here we see Jerusalem divided into three parts. Notice what happens. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and, and the cities of the nations fell And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of His wrath. I mean, the world has never seen an earthquake like the earthquake that is going to come. That's what he's saying. In fact, he indicates here, if I read this right, that all of the other major cities in the world, all of the, the, the nations represented at least, they're all going to fall in that day. And even Jerusalem itself being divided into three distinct parts. And, and if you read in other places, especially in Zechariah, where the Mount of Olives divides asunder. In other words, one half moving to the east and the other half moving to the west. And so there is a divide even in the Mount of Olives. And, and if you, you go on and read in verse number 20, and notice the islands and the mountains are moved. We're talking about something that is worldwide. When you think about all of the mountains, I, I don't know how many islands, for example, that are in the Philippines. Uh, somebody help me back there. Where's Erica? How many, how many how many islands just in the Philippines? Hundreds, right? Hundreds and hundreds of islands there alone. Look, that's that's just one place. There's Indonesia and all of those other places, all of those islands. Look, I, he's going to shake the world in that day. You know, if, if we really understood, and, and certainly we can't, we can't really get the picture, but... Do you ever stop to think about we're we're living on a time bomb? By the way, that's the way it's going to end, all in a ball of fire, because God is going to renovate this present earth one of these days. It'll be destroyed so as by fire, so that God might make it over again something new, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But before the new heaven and the new earth gets here, there's going to be destruction all over this earth. So he says and emphasizes that this earthquake is going to be to the extent that the world has never seen, and Jerusalem is going to be divided. And then notice in verse number 21, and this is going to kind of leave us hanging because we have to wait until next week and the next chapter to to go on with the story. But notice what happens in verse number 21. And there fell upon men a great hail, uh, great hail out of heaven, and every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, and for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now, it's been estimated by different people, and, and I, I'm not smart enough to know exactly uh, exactly uh, what these hailstones weighed, but in different countries designated a talent in different ways. But going from the extreme, the, the minimum weight would be uh, 86 pounds. Can you imagine getting hit with an 86 pound hailstone? 
and the maximum would be 390, depending on how you look at it. So let's just stick with the 86-pound hailstone. Here's 86 pounds of ice come flying through the air. Can you imagine the damage that would do whatever it hit? And to think of several of them, and that that's what's coming upon the earth. The devastation is going to be greater than anything our mind can imagine. And evidently this is not going to be localized, by the way. Get the picture. The great earthquake that has happened. Everything out in the sea is dead. The fresh waters turned to blood. Here these people are in agony. The putrefying sores all over their body and they're cursing God everywhere you look. You don't find anybody praising the Lord. They're all cursing God as it were. This great earthquake happens and all of a sudden here comes these chunks of hail out of the sky just literally ripping everything to shreds. You know, when we, when we think about this and the judgment to come, and we think about the condition of our loved ones, we talked this morning about making a difference. And I hope nobody misunderstood that, because when I talk about, you know, making a difference, I'm not talking about a difference in the sense of trying to improve this world system. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Somebody says, we need better schools. Well, we sure do. We need better schools, but that's not the answer to our problem. Somebody says, well, we need a, you know, a better system in place because I don't think Obamacare is going to work, and so we need a better system for health care. Well, we sure do, but that's not the answer to the problem. Somebody says, well, you know, the economy is in the toilet. What are we going to do about that? Well, it needs to be improved. There's no doubt about that. But that's not the solution to our problem. The solution to our problem is of a spiritual nature. And the best thing that you and I can do by way of making changes in this world is what? The simple thing of leading a soul to Jesus Christ. Because when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, They are transformed from within. They become a new person, somebody that they've never been before. And and let's think about it, folks, the the other day. And and I I don't want to get too personal or anything like that. But and, And I say the other day, but it happens quite often that Bev will get to thinking about the grandkids and start crying. And she does so because... She has this heavy burden on her heart to see all of our grandchildren come to know Christ as their Savior. And if you're a grandparent, you know exactly how that is. Boy, you, 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 love, you love those little people so dearly. They're just the world to you. And uh, to think about them growing up not knowing Christ as their Savior, nothing could be more horrible, more terrible than that. And so let's accept, let's accept this tonight as a challenge. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, what a morbid service this is. What an awful way to close the service and to walk away from here tonight thinking about how terrible and horrible it's going to be upon the earth. Well, it is, and nothing could be worse than hell. But folks, that ought to serve to motivate us to do what we can while we can before it's too late, because there will be no second chances. 
There's no hitting the replay button. There's no do-overs. I mean, once it's done, it's done. And judgment is coming. And it might be a whole lot sooner than what you and I ever imagined. You know, sometimes a simple thing might be the very thing that will help bring someone to a saving knowledge of Christ. It might not be the sermon from behind the pulpit. It might not be the great special the choir sings. It might be you taking an interest in them and just something so simple as inviting them to church and letting them know in a loving, tender, gentle way that I care about you. I care about you. And through your influence, think about this now, through your influence, somebody might be able to escape this horrific judgment that's coming upon the world. So let's each one covenant with God, as it were, in our heart that we're going to do our best while we can to reach our loved ones for Christ. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You, Lord, for giving us the truth. We thank You, Lord, as horrible and terrible as the picture before us is, that at least now we know the facts. We know how it's going to end. And Lord, I just pray tonight that each one of us might be challenged by what we've heard in order that we might realize that the time is short, our days are numbered, that we're here for just a very limited amount of time and there's such a great work to do. You told us to take the gospel into all of the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. And Heavenly Father, we're not even close to having done that. We haven't even reached all of those here, even in our own communities. And I pray you'll forgive us and help us and use us to do our very best to reach someone for Jesus. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.